Hello and welcome back to the Villa Villa podcast. I'm here as always with my good friend Dan Wiseman. Dan, Aston Villa 1, Leicester City 2. First of all, how are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. A lot better that we've been able to get this out relatively, well, so far. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, yeah. Knock on wood. It's been uh, pretty pain-free because the last few weeks, for some reason, the internet has truly conspired against us. Um, but no, it seems relatively pain-free so far. And um, what ended up being a, a relatively pain-free afternoon, didn't it? It was looking a bit sketchy at one point when we went two goals down pretty early on. I, I was fearing the worst, running through these down. I was texting my mates going, oh, you know, this is going to be a mauling, lads. I'm not looking forward to this. But uh, I thought we did a pretty good job of turning it around. And, you know, we, we always try to be the faces of optimism amongst Aston Villa fans, don't we? Uh, and I feel like I can be that again today. I'll come away from that from that defeat and I'm not too, feeling too, uh, too down about it, to be honest with you, mate. I think going straight into the game, the first thing we have to acknowledge is would Jack Grealish have made that much of a difference on the game today? Arguably not. He'd been marked out of the game the past few times and we saw how Leicester had set up in their 4-2-3-1 with Ricardo Pereira and Castagne both operating on that right flank that they were there to nullify the threat of Jack Grealish. So would uh, would Villa have necessarily done better? I mean, you know, there's always that possibility, but we can't pin defeat solely on the lack of Jack Grealish. I find it lazy that Sky Sports are, are saying that. Even, you know, seeing someone like Micah Richards mm-hmm. and Alex Scott saying that as well, I regard them as very good pundits. I feel like it's a very easy cop-out to say Villa are better with Jack Grealish. I mean, of course we are. We can't pin today's loss on that. And... I think what as well we have to highlight, Dan, how good Leicester were, especially in that mm-hmm. opening half. Definitely. They really did take the foot off the gas. James Definitely. Madison is cruising to take that England spot that Ross Barkley's gunning for. He's, I mean, yeah. it's unfortunate, but Ross is not going on that plane, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think that's an unpopular opinion anymore. It's uh, there are there are reasons to this. There's layers to Barkley's performances. I think I don't think it's just the blanket. He's crap. He's, he's you know. He clearly isn't yep. fit yet, but James Madison, Dan, took his goal very well. Um, the first goal, I was very, um, I, I was, I was a bit frustrated at how easily Villa got sucked in. But when you know, uh, I believe it was Yuri Tillemans who 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 looked to play that ball to to Vardy first off. You're going to get sucked in. Jamie Vardy's the threat, playing that ball over the top. It's it's no reason why the defence shouldn't shuffle across to that side. That ball initially wasn't dealt with in the best way by Concer and uh, an Elmo there who I felt struggled throughout the 90 minutes on Mohamedy. And uh, listen, it was, a, it was a brilliant goal from James Madison, wasn't it, Dan? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And, um, you know, if there was anything remotely sweet about the the, uh, the goal going in was that, you know, it was something I warned Dean Smith about exclusively in my preview. And I trust that he must have watched the preview. So whether he just <laughs> didn't take notes of that particular section or whatever, I don't know. But this is the problem when you play against Leicester is that you're so wary of those through balls, those ones over the top for Barnes and for Vardy that you end up, you can regress quite deep subconsciously into your own penalty box. And that's when you've got the likes of Madison, the likes of Barnes, Tielemann and Didi, you know, even when you look outside of the first team squad, the likes of Michael Brighton and so on, all pose a threat from range. And since his Premier League debut in August 2018, Madison has scored more goals from outside the, uh, the penalty area than any other player in the league. That's his 11th since that's that time so you know if you're speaking statistically that's the most dangerous player in the league from that position and I felt that we did do exactly that I think we dropped just a bit too deep I think if you're being sort of hypercritical 
Um, Mings could maybe get out a little bit quicker, but you know I don't really want to get sucked into that because it is, is it was a really good goal, mate. And that Emmy will be, I think, a little bit. I'm not saying that he should have done better, but Emmy gets a hand to it, and you know, being the good goalkeeper that he is, I think he'll feel that if he can get enough hand to it, then he could could have saved that. And you know, that's not me saying he should have saved it, but you know, I, we know how high Emmy's standards are after that West Ham game. I think he's going to feel that he could have done something, maybe just get it onto the post. But no, I think. You know, you, you have to take it for what it is. And it was a great goal by James Madison. And it was built up to be this big battle of, as it always is when Grealish and Madison played, these big battle of those two midfielders. Southgate was in attendance, I imagine, for that reason. I don't know if you saw the pre-match graphic from Leicester either, Dan. But it was... Yeah, um, yeah. Even, yeah even they were putting that spin on things. And, uh, you know, that that... You know the fact that Jack wasn't there to sort of counteract that, you know, was was a bit of a shame. But no, it was it was a good goal from from um, Madison, and I, I think ultimately, without you know, there were a lot of issues in the team at that time. But with that first goal, you just had to sort of tip your hat to that one, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, Emmy's at full stretch, and as you say, gets a hand to it. By his standards, as you say, he's going to be very frustrated. I don't think we can, uh, as you said, we can't really blame him for that it's a very well worked goal it's vintage Leicester as you say you would back Madison you would put your entire mortgage on Madison scoring from that kind of a position regardless of who the goalkeeper is and that early assertion of dominance from Leicester they scored not so long after as well Harvey Barnes who is uh, I believe 13 goals now in the Premier League this uh, in all competitions sorry this season absolutely electrifying that you know as you alluded to earlier Dan it was always Grealish versus Madison in the championship. And then all of a sudden it became Grealish versus Barnes because West Brom are, are West Brom and they're, they're just <laughs> obsessed. And I always liked Harvey Barnes. I never quite thought he was quite there, but the heights we're seeing him reach now in the Premier League, Dan, it's remarkable. Baller, and I was having baller. this debate with a few mates the other day at work. Where does Harvey, I mean, Harvey Barnes, his hat is well and truly in the ring for an England call-up. Where does he fit in? How does he fit in? I don't know because we've got Phil Foden. We've got Mason Greenwood, who's an outside shout. Jack Grealish, James Madison, Barkley, if you, you know, you've got Claret and yep. Blue Tinted Spectacles on. There's so many players who can play in that position. And the goal for me, it perfectly summarised Harvey Barnes' work rate, his ethic as a player. Jamie Vardy gets the shot off, is initially saved, and he is busting a gut to get to that ball. And Emmy, there's not much he can do. He has to try and make himself big there. He he opts to dive down, try and catch, you know, get on top of the ball. But when a player is as quick and as clinical as Harvey Barnes, that's always going to be difficult. So he left him with a fairly big target. But, you know, a lot of players would have probably missed that. If I would not have backed any of Villa's players today to have scored that opportunity had it have fallen to them, Dan. Harvey Barnes is... And I feel like I can appreciate him a bit more now because he isn't playing for West Brom. <laughs> but it, it was a very clinical finish and, as I say, wonderful player. Leicester, there's a lot to like about Leicester, Dan, isn't there, to be fair? And I don't want to come here and just, you know, wax lyrical about Leicester because... You know, first half, we certainly weren't at it. And don't worry, we'll get to the second half where we felt Villa played better. But deserving leaders of 2-0 at that point in the game, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I don't want to dwell on it too much because the game ended on a far you know, far more positive note than this. But um, no, I thought the midfield especially was atrocious in the first half. Douglas Louise, I don't think I saw him until about 30, 35 minutes in the game. John McGinn positionally on the defensive end was all over the place. And I felt that today... I think what you said at the top of the pod, Dan, about Jack not being missed 
in the game is, is probably fair, but offensively, definitely. But defensively, I think we missed him more than we realised. And that was the thing when, when I saw that Jack wasn't in the team is that you miss him and what he provides on the defensive end. And that's an underrated aspect of Jack Grealish. You know, he is the, always the first to set that press trigger. He knows yeah. the system inside out. He knows when to press, when to drop off. And he really leads that forward line. And that often you see him pressing with Ali in a two. You know, if you look at his defensive stats over the last few games, this season he's pitched in with 27 tackles, 20 block shots, 11 interceptions. And those are numbers that most fullbacks would be proud of. And that's coming off Jack, who is obviously touted so highly because of what he did, does going forward. But I, th- I felt that Villa did miss that leadership perhaps in the first half. And I think if there was ever an advert for how much of a leader that, you know, we were speaking on this podcast a little while ago, Dan, about the type of captain that Jack Grealish is, whether, you know, you've got Tyrone, who's the vocal leader. But I think perhaps we saw today that in terms of leading that midfield uh, and being vocal in that area, perhaps that's where you do miss Jack a little bit. And look, I didn't expect us to win the game without Grealish today. Um, He started the last, you know, there were some crazy stats flying about before the game. He's started the last 48 games for Aston Villa. Um, since promotion, we've only played a Premier League game without Jack twice, and we lost both of them. Uh, the last time we won without Jack was a 2-1 win against Bristol City back in April 2019. So we haven't won a game without Jack Grealish in the side since the promotion, um, wow. which is just absolutely nuts. And so when you're playing the, the a side like Leicester, um, you know, I, I wasn't expecting the win without Jack, but it, when we went in at half-time, I thought we got better as the half went on, but yeah, it was it was a particularly poor first half. But um, you know, Dean must have gotten into the lads, and we we often give Dean a little not a stick, but we often leave feeling that we wanted a bit more from Dean tactically sometimes, don't we? Um, yeah, substitution wise especially, but tactically, you know, there's a little bit that we would have been a bit dissatisfied, but we have to give him full juice today because he reorganised that Villa side in the second half. We seem to be a lot more tenacious. We seem to be far hungrier for terms of getting the ball back. We were a lot more effective at moving the ball through the thirds and creating chances. And that was perhaps shown best than by the goal that we got, what was it, two minutes into the second half? With, yeah. uh, with this uh, this podcast's favourite Villa player at the moment, <laughs> Bertrand Jorio on the score sheet yet again. Sixth this season for him. I'm proud to say, Dan, been on the bandwagon since day one, on the back of your home shirt. Nobody can tell us otherwise. This podcast absolutely yes. loves Bertrand Traore, and rightly so. And I tweeted, Dan, and I don't know if you saw it, but most of Twitter throughout the first half, very critical of Bertrand when he didn't... Yeah, maybe he could have made one or two passes a bit better, movement could have been a bit better, but to blame a winger on your defensive performance when the midfield was as missing as it was. The midfield was non-existent in that first half. That's the reason why Leicester got that second goal, Dan. Didn't really touch on it too much, but ghosted past us from the, yep. the throw in there. And that, that obviously led to Barnes's goal. Uh, you know, Dougie, McGinn, Barkley didn't come close to laying a gauntlet on any Leicester player in the build-up to that goal. So to scapegoat Bertrand for that first half performance, I find very strange. And I hope a lot of people were eating humble pie uh, when, you know, when he scored that goal. It was so well worked, Dan, from the ball into the box. And a lot of criticism um, comes of Matt Target for his deliveries, uh, not getting above knee height or whatever. But it was a perfect, it was a perfect ball into the box. It was good to see Bertrand occupy that position because 
as we see with Watkins, he likes to drift out wide. The stats show that. The heat maps show that. He was a winger, obviously. We know that. And I often feel like at times when he does that, despite, you know, you know, he's he's clearly trying to bring other people into the game. I don't think Villa had necessarily have the legs nor the intelligence in the midfield to make them runs to fill the space that Watkins provides by drifting out to the left. Bertrand was so switched on to get into that space. Leicester, albeit very poor defensively, I think they were just trying to see the game out. They probably didn't think that Villa were really going to come at them with too much, but it's a very good finish. And I think what we need to talk about more, Dan, is Kasper Schmeichel's incident weird after yeah the that goal. was weird wasn't it leaning on Bertrand Traore uh not very sportsmanlike at all I didn't really understand what was going on at first that was weird wasn't it Bertrand didn't foul Schmeichel Schmeichel no. came out of his goal Bertrand scored they're both you know they're like they're essentially on top of each other no contact has been made between the two of them and Schmeichel just kneels on Bertrand I mean Dan <laughs> goalkeepers union I know but you can't <laughs> you can't stick up for that man you can't no, that was bizarre, mate. I really don't know what went on there, but you know that that's um, that's that's you know the, I think that Leicester that that really really rocked them, and I don't think they really got going after that goal. To be honest with you, Dan, and I don't think they were expecting that retaliation from Villa. I don't think I was expecting that retaliation no. from Villa, but I, you know I was very see, happy to see it happen. And, and you're right in that. Um, I think just the how unexpected that goal was, and the move was so nicely put down, but put together down that left hand side. You know, shout out again to Matt Target who was, as you said, was crucial in that, but played yet another another. I can't fault him again today. Um, I thought he had another excellent game. Um, but you know, when we put that move together down the left, considering in the first half we'd lost possession seventy four times in the first forty five minutes, seventy four times that's almost twice a minute to go. Then put that move down uh, together down the left. There was some really nice back heels involved. Matty puts that ball in. Uh, it's flicked on by Ollie. Does a really nice job. And then there is Birch and Traore. And and this is what you were saying, Dan, when. We were said last week that we felt that Bertrand Troy became the scapegoat of that Brighton game because he was the first substitute and neither of us could understand why. And considering that the run he's been on since about sort of November, uh, you know, since November, Bertrand has been involved in eight goals in the Premier League, um, five goals, three assists. Only Jack has been involved more in that time. He has 10. So he's only two goal involvements off Jack Grealish. It seemed bizarre to take him off first against Brighton because considering he can just come up with something or uh, and, and get be in the moment at the right time and get you back in the game. I felt that he was a little bit hard done by against Brighton to come off because of that. But yet again, you know, we feel like in scoring that goal, he's nailed in his that spot down. It's got to be his now, I think, for the end of the season. I think considering how El Ghazi was, um, you know, I, I don't want to be too harsh on Anwar because he hasn't played in a long time. It's a tough side to get yeah. back involved with. And it's a tough boot. You know, that's the, the biggest set of boots in the club to go and fill is, is Jack Grealish. So I don't want to be too harsh on Anwar, but it wasn't his best afternoon. Um, Trezeguet, I thought, was relatively similar. Um, but no, I, I'm, uh, sorry, Burton, he's done really well. And it was a good good goal for him. I, I think we did really well to get back in the game and, and, and make something of that. Um, but you can't help but feel that I felt that that game for me, Dan, I don't know about you. Um, this is sort of going right back to the start, but the, it was screaming out for Marvellous Nakamba. And I feel sorry for Marv because he hasn't really done too much to get dropped. And I feel like when you're starting that game, uh, you know, knowing that you're going to be on the back foot, knowing that you haven't got Grealish, that possession is going to be hard to come by, having someone that can win it back as easily and as successfully as Marvellous Nakamba done, it just felt like, you know, he can really feel quite aggrieved that he hasn't played more in the last few games. Yeah, and I think 
The thing that I find incredibly frustrating about this is I feel like Villa fans are constantly drawn into comparing Douglas and Marv like for like. And that is, they're quite clearly two very different players who play in the same position and are going to be more effective in certain things where, you know, I, I feel like where Douglas lacks, Marvellous makes up for that and where, mm-hmm. you know, vice versa. Yeah. Quite clearly, if you want someone to, a, a progressive six who's going to look up, play beautiful balls, score screamers or bit, it's been a while since he's done that. Douglas is your man. If you need some grit in that midfield, if you need someone who's going to win the ball back, Marv's your guy. He really yep. is. And it's a debate that has been had a lot on Twitter. And I feel like some Villa fans just aren't getting it when we're saying, and I'm not, you know, this isn't just us, Dan. People who are saying, I think Marv needs to come on. It's not saying that Marvellous is a better player than Douglas Louise. It is saying that his attributes are more suited for the situation that Aston Villa find themselves in in that specific game. 100%. 100%. And it's this game management. And I think, to be fair, Dan, despite getting the goal early on, the changes that Dean made with the initial change of changing Trezeguet for El Ghazi is one that we've criticised many a time, Dan, because Dean's plan B is plan A just with a different player in the same position. <laughs> At that moment in the game, especially when Douglas Louise is booked, especially when El Mohamed is booked, it would have made so much more sense to have brought Marvellous Nakamba on. Now, mm-hmm. he hasn't played as many games. Villa haven't conceded a goal when Marvellous Nakamba has been on the pitch. He's made eight tackles... In the game, in the in the three and a half games he's played, let's say, um, he out of those eight tackles, he has made five tack five winning tackles. But he, he sorry, he's dispossessed the team and retained possession five times. That is vital because again, to, to go back to what I said earlier, Dan, the midfield it was non-existent. You needed that player to come in to win possession to keep hold of the ball. And yeah, his passing range isn't as good as Douglas Luiz's. But if he can, you know, lay it off short to McGinn, lay it off short to Ross Barkley, then Villa are absolutely in business. And it was a frustrating one that he didn't come on. Obviously, we were kind of walking on eggshells with the Douglas Luiz yellow card, which was scandalous because Barnes tripped himself up. But that is a story for another day. Again, Dan, the substitutions, they got better, though. They did get better. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see Sanson earlier. We can't expect this man to have an impact on a game when he has nine minutes to play plus additional time. We really can't. But Jacob Ramsey, Dan, I mean, he looks so comfortable on the ball. He's got wisdom beyond his age. He's playing very nice outside of the foot passes. He's showing for the ball. He's driving at defences. And I feel like he's he's come on such a long way, even in you know the brief cameos that he's made. You know, we we saw him start against Wolves. He looked very good, but now we're seeing a much more assured young man who is stepping up to the challenge and arguably starts next week against Leeds. Yeah, well, this is the thing, mate. Is that I, to be honest with you, I think both of the lads that have come on, and I thought this of Sanson against Brighton as well, and I thought of both JJ. And Morgan today is that I, I I thought they showed a lot more in that time 
than um, a lot of the other players on the pitch. And the more that you grow, look, there's two ways you can look at this, Dan. And I think you can reward players for what they've done this season. Absolutely. This is the best Villa side that you and I have seen in a long, long time. Um, or anyone has seen in, in a long, long time. Yeah. And the, the the lads that have got Villa to this point and the lads that have played so well in the first half of the season deserve and ultimately have rights to, to certain places in the starting eleven. However, once you start to reward players for mediocrity, which it was against Brighton and for a large part of the That's game... was generous, it? Dan. Yeah, well... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it, it was again today. Once you start rewarding players for that and once players start getting a bit comfortable knowing that... And I'm not saying at all that this is going on, but once players start to think that, ah, oh, it doesn't matter, I'm going to be starting next week anyway, that's when players get a little bit too comfortable and when ultimately you start to see complacency creep in. I'm not saying that's what's going on, but that's what Villa need to avoid. And I think when you've got two players like JJ, like Morgan, like Marv, I don't think it's a coincidence that when you see all of these players come into the side, especially in midfield, they all play with hunger. They all play that I've got something to prove. And ultimately, often end up playing better than the people that they're replacing. And so I think when you when you come up against Leeds, I think for too long now, Villa have lost, games have been won and often lost in the midfield. I think we have to see some changes in there. I think Morgan now will be starting to get to the point where I think you can feel, considering the results that Villa have been playing, pretty aggrieved that he's only getting 10 minutes here and there, considering he's often seen Villa on the losing side of the score sheet or in the case of Brighton drawing. Um, I think we need to make some changes in that midfield. I think that will ultimately be better in that game, but then going forward as well, because then you've got the option of bringing the likes of McGinn back into the team, bringing Douglas back into the team if it doesn't work out quite well. And and I think that's a breath of, breath of fresh air in itself. And so I really hope that for that Leeds game, which won't be an easy one, as, as we saw early on in the season, we saw what Leeds can do to us at the best of times. Um, I think we do need to freshen things up for sure. Yeah. And, you know, especially when, you know, Ramsey's coming on. And of course, this is with no disrespect at all, because Jacob is a fine player, but... If you're Sanson and you're seeing a 20-year-old, you know, kid come on and and he's and he's getting on ahead of you and they've just signed you for for a hefty fee and you've left, you know, a club who's playing European football to come to Aston Villa, you're going to be pretty pissed off. You just are. Yeah. That's just how it works. No, you're absolutely I would right. be, you know, he has every right to be as well, you know, again, there's no disrespect at all to Ramsey, but it's a difficult one, actually, because, yeah, Leeds next week, Dan, that's going to be very tough. And, I mean, I had a stinker in FPL, Dan. I, I captained Bamford as it's a double game week for Leeds. And, uh, and you know, didn't they didn't quite do the business last night, did they, against Wolves, obviously. Um, a very unfortunate own goal. And, you know... I think you said it in your preview, Dan. We said it last week in the podcast, you know, in, in, in the brief preview we did at the end. Brendan Rodgers, undoubtedly one of the best tactical minds in English football, debatable, uh, you know, in European football as well. And now we're coming up against the granddaddy of, you know, just <laughs> beautiful, uh, full, on, full on attacking, gagan pressing like hell uh, football that Marcelo Bielsa is known for. And that, you know, Mauricio Pochettino and Pep Guardiola and the like, idolise and obsess over. And it's going to be really difficult. And if Villa put in anywhere near a performance that they did in the first half today against Leeds, they're going to get absolutely walked over, Dan. And uh, this is something that we will explore a bit later on in the week during my preview, Dan. But to talk on it briefly, 
it's going to be tough. Leeds are going to be hungry. It was nice to actually see Sky Sports label yesterday's game between Wolves and Leeds as a battle of mid-table uh, teams, which was very nice to see considering how, how much they've been hyping Leeds up. But with that being said, Dan, it's going to be a very difficult test for Villa next week. Yeah, absolutely. And and Leeds, are, are, they haven't... They've dropped off a, a little bit. They've only got one win in their last four. But, you know, let me cast your mind back to the very end of Jan and when they took Leicester apart in their own backyard. They, they weren't yeah. beaten 3-1 at the King Power and Leeds were exceptional that day. Um, but they do play between now and next Saturday. It's a half-five kickoff uh, at Ellen Road. They do play on Tuesday against Southampton who showed glimpses of what they were earlier on in the season in yesterday's draw with Chelsea. So that's not going to be an uh, easy game in itself. So Villa have got a few days rest on on Leeds, um, which, you know, is, is, you know, sort of might be scraping the barrel a little bit there looking for positives, but it's something to take. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to how you, you dissect that in your preview, Dan, because as you're right, Leeds are such a, an interesting and, and, you know, one of the most, probably one of, if not the most tactically complex sides in the league. I think, you know, you can say a lot for Marcelo Bielsa and I do think Leeds have been a little bit, over, a little bit overhyped at certain points this season, but you have to commend what he's been able to do with a squad that, you know, pound for pound, player name for player name wouldn't look out of place in, in you know, most relegation candidate teams. I think if you put many, most other managers in the world in charge of that squad, I don't think they get what Marcelo has been able to get out of them some weeks. So, yeah, no, that will be a really interesting game, mate. And I think uh, ultimately Villa need to show a bit more. We need to have a bit, bit of an upturn in form. We're, we're due a win, I feel. Um, and, you know, with West Ham getting more and more positive results, that's a newcomer into the top six. That's a spot that, that's been taken up. And I think Villa need to really mark their territory and sort of gauge exactly what Villa we can expect going into the final runs of the season. Absolutely. And I think we do need to reiterate, Dan, it is probably, a, a, you know, a jump too far European football this season. The squad isn't quite there. I mean, you know, you just got to look at Leicester going to Slavia Prague, got the business done there. There was fans there as well, uh, which is, you know, crazy to think about at the moment with how things are in England. And they've come and they've done the job, you know, only three days later. So I don't, if, if the, shoe, the shoe was on the other foot, I don't see Villa doing the business uh, in, in that respect, which is unfortunate. Um, there's a game going on right now, Dan. Raheem Sterling's put Manchester City 1-0 up against Arsenal within the second minute. Uh, a lot of FPL players will be annoyed at that because I think Sterling's one of the most transferred out players uh, ahead of this game week. So that's a, that's a bit heavy for you guys who, who may have traded out Sterling. But listen, we will be back with some content midweek. It will be my turn previewing uh, Aston Villa versus Leeds in 150 seconds. It's great to see all of the wonderful feedback that you left uh, on both mm. of the videos. Uh, there's not there's a few of you guys who you know uh, said the audio wasn't great but it's great uh, for mine that is obviously that's resolved for Dan's it'll be resolved for mine as well so it's great to see you guys are appreciating the content we really do appreciate that it means the most um, if you enjoyed this podcast we're closing in on 4,000 subscribers we really want to get that before the end of the season so if you could subscribe to the channel if you're not that would mean the most as 56% of you guys who listen to these podcasts, you're not subscribed. It's free. Just do it. You know, you're, you're watching anyway. You guys are clearly enjoying it. You guys are hitting the like button. And if you haven't, make sure you do and comment your thoughts below on the game. Who was your man of the match? And what are you looking forward to in this Leeds game? We'd love to know. So as I said, like, comment, subscribe and up the villa.